I know some of this may be new to some of us, and some of it might just be, frankly, a bit scary. Um, it's just, what is this? What's going on? You know, we haven't heard a lot, or if we've heard a lot, we've heard a lot of different things, you know, about spiritual gifts. It's not the, the most um, easy topic, that's for sure. Uh, for others of us, you're really excited to see the Holy Spirit talked about, to see the gifts talked about. It's an answer to your prayers for more of his presence and gifts in our midst. Wherever you're on the spectrum, you're not alone. There's somebody just like you, pretty much. And, and you're not bringing something new to this experience with God. He, he understands it all. He understands the great enthusiasm. He understands the trepidation. And, and please know, I just want at the outset of, of this message, that we're committed by God's grace as pastors, as leaders with you, to, to fight to stay faithful to God's gospel and God's word in all these matters. In fact, it is because Jesus laid down his life for us. It is because Jesus laid down his life for us and was raised from the dead for us. That we're talking about this. Because the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is a blood-bought gift. The Holy Spirit's gifts to us are blood-bought gifts. Central to the gospel's purpose. Because God's word tells us Jesus came to give us these gifts. Because God's word tells us how important they are for the body of Christ. That's why we're in the season of seeking to learn and experience more from his Holy Spirit. And in particular right now, from his gifts. Paul tells us two times in the section that we're going to read today and in 14, that 1 Corinthians 14, that we'll not get to, that we're to eagerly desire, that we're to eagerly desire these gifts. And, and for me, ironically, this would not, I've realized more than ever in the last few weeks, this eager desire would not be my posture concerning one gift that I believe that God has given me and I've kind of just owned that God's given me, I think, I have much more faith than I did that God's given me this gift, and it's the gift of speaking in tongues. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's hard. To, I'm reticent to even admit that, you know, like how many members are going to get up right now and just like Ben and just <laughs> walk out? Because um, that's weird, that guy speaking in tongues. But I, I think I received this gift in 2005. I had a Josh Harris lay his hands over me at Covenant Life. Uh, my, my girlfriend had just broken off our engagement. Um, her, her name was Jennifer. Things ended well. Um, but I was mortified, and, and I went to, uh, to, to seek some help. I, I asked for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and Josh prayed for me. And a few nights later, I found myself praying for hours. And before this prayer, not in tongues, but before, I, I had this one syllable come out of my mouth just over and over again. It was just like all I had. But it was this little syllable that led to this flood of prayers that were in English for hours about uh, my life, the, the, this future woman that I, I wanted back into my life and was asking God for. And, but, but a lot of, Lord willing, repentance um, that night for, for being a coward and um, not putting my tr- trust in him. But after that, I kind of looked at tongues as and I said this on Wednesday night as kind of this like weird step uncle, you know, like, what do I do with this? Is it me? Is it God? I, and I just kind of basically put it on the shelf pretty much by and large functionally for 12 years. Um, and it was in in the midst of this series and looking at the word of God and a lot of what Robin said last week and before reading uh, different things that I became more convicted that it 
that the thing that was that was making me trepidatious about tongues, which was the word of God and wanting to be safe in God's word. And I, I, I care about God's word. I'm all about like, is this correct? Is this correct? Is this correct? And I could get obsessive about it. That it was that very word of God that was telling me, why are you ashamed of this? This is in my word. And he was gentle to show me and prove to me. I believe that tongues, as it's understood in, in, in our church, and it, it really is words to God, as the Bible says. It really is something my mind doesn't understand, which totally freaks me out. Um, but I, I just was encouraged by Robin in a phone call just to, just to press into it. So in the last week, I have try, been trying to press into it, and, and it, has, it has brought grace to my life. Uh, and I, I, be, I don't want to belabor this and make this whole sermon about me and my experience. But I, I just share that because if you're on the spectrum of great fear and trepidation and this is weird, I am right there with you. Like, I get that. But we don't want to let our fears or our desire for comfort or our sense of our experience be bigger than what God's word says about the gifts. And God's word talks about the gifts. God's word tells us we need the gifts. God's word tells us he gives the gifts. God's word commands us not to just desire the gifts, but to eagerly desire the gifts. And and so I just think that's for us. I, I mean, I'm not saying that this is brand new. There are gifts in operation. But as I read God's word, I think it's a really healthy thing for us to say, Lord, may we please have more. May we please see them better. May we please step into their use and grow in the experience more and more and more to be all that you want us to be. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12 in that light today. Um, and uh, man, I'm even just, if, if that little intro freaked you out, please come talk to me. It was the last thing I want to do. Um, but we're going to talk about three categories today about the gifts. We're going to talk about the breadth of the gifts where I'm going to try to summarize uh, a drive-by on the gifts. I'm going to try to talk really fast through that. There are a lot of different books you can go to for that. But I just don't think it would be good to steward this series without talking about the gifts in full, at least briefly. So the breadth of the gifts, what are they listed in Scripture? I don't think that's exhaustive. I think there are more than here, but we at least want to talk about what's there. The design of the gifts, how did God constitute them to work in the church? Um, and then the ultimate purpose of the gifts regarding that as well. So... So first, the breadth of... Oh, wait. First, let's pray. Let's pray, because I need God's help. Lord, uh, you know I need your help. Um, You know that... uh, Lord, I can, in myself, only get in the way, apart from your Holy Spirit. So I pray you'd protect my brothers and sisters, and you'd protect myself in the way of honoring your word and fearing your holy name and lord by your grace uh, being humble before your word and seeking to nourish your people lord thank you that your son died to help us right now to help me and to help my brothers and sisters to not leave us on our own to not orphan us but to be with us and to be in us for this very purpose and you know that my wife went on a retreat and left me with three children who almost destroyed me this week. And so, Lord, I'm counting on you to help make up for what um, I could not get to uh, in preparation this week as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So number one, the breadth of the gifts. The breadth of the gifts. 
gift lists are, are, are made up from three basic places in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. And I commend those chapters to you. There's a uniformity and a, a congruence in principles. You will see the same principles, different gifts, but the same principles about God's heart for the gifts, what God wants to do in the church with the gifts in each of these chapters. It's a beautiful thing to see over many letters to many churches over many years. The same heart, the same purpose. Um, gifts, the word gifts, we get that word from a Greek word called charismata, which basically means uh, a grace gift to you. It's, it's, it's a gift, but it's a gift given freely. Um, and these are not things that God simply hands you in Scripture, and then you're like, okay, God, I got it, I'm good. Uh, in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians, um, it's different workings, but the same spirit who works the gifts in you. So when you have a gift, the Spirit doesn't take off and leave you on the side of the road. He is working that gift in you as you use that gift. It's a manifestation in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12 of His very Spirit. Um, gifts are not stuff that you get separate of the Spirit. They, they're the Spirit in you working His stuff in you and through you. They always also work inside flawed people. So to some degree, they reflect our limitations um, as, as gift carriers. There's different degrees of maturity in the use of gifts. There's different degrees of faith to use the gifts. They have to be practiced. They have to be exercised. You grow in owning and using your gift. Your gift can dry up if it's neglected. Um, not dry up as in God takes it away from you, but just like I did, you can put it on the shelf and you're just not progressing like you should in it. 1 Corinthians 14, which we talked about last week from Robin, it assumes abuses and failures in the context of real spiritual gifts. It assumes abuses and failures in the context of real spiritual gifts. And John MacArthur's done amazing things, but one of the ironic things to me about one of his books, Charismatic Chaos, is, is that, he, you know, from what I understand, it, maybe I just shouldn't use MacArthur's name because I haven't read that, a, a ton of that book, but, but the idea that the gift ceased because of the craziness of 1 Corinthians 14 is, is ironic to me because it was because the gifts hadn't ceased, that 1 Corinthians 14 was written, right? So we don't want to allow abuse and failure to give us an open road to neglect what God's Word calls us to. Um, a lot of my reading this week on the gifts and for the last several weeks has come from um, Sam Storms, who's on the executive board of Acts 29. He, he's a, if you are interested in learning more about the gifts, he's a great author about these gifts. Sam Storms, he is a great theologian. I don't agree with him on everything. Um, you know, we don't agree with each other on everything, on every single point usually. Um, but, but he's a really trustworthy, really old experienced man of God who's really passionate about the charismata, the spiritual gifts being used in the context of God's word healthily and fruitfully in churches. And he just fights for that. Um, another guy is Wayne Grudem. He wrote Systematic Theology, and uh, many of you guys have that book, and he has a couple of great chapters in there on gifts. I'll put these things uh, in the notes this week about this. Um, and then a new guy for me is a guy named Ken Boa, Kenneth Boa, who's been around for a long time. He's a PhD guy, and um, he, he's written some great things about the gifts. So a lot of my notes come from those guys, so I'm giving copyright notice to those. So um, I just want to give those kind of three disclaimers before we go into 1 Corinthians 12. And because I forgot to go into it before those disclaimers. So now we're going to go into 1 Corinthians 12. So if you could open your Bibles if they're not open. Or just follow along with me. We're going to be using the ESV. We're going to go through 1 Corinthians 12. And just walk through that chapter. 
um, and, and listen to what God says about gifts. Starting in verse 4, we'll go through the very end of the chapter. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the working of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit, we were all baptized, into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. See, now Paul's making a transition. He's, it's one, we're one, one God, one body, one spirit. There's a unity, there's a unity. And from that, that conviction of unity, he talks about the diversity in that unity. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong in the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong in the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you, that's plural you, all, are the body of Christ 
and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing. Z, that's plural. We'll get to that in a second. Gifts of healings, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And there's a Greek word may in front of every one of those phrases that means no. (laughs) They don't. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And then comes the great chapter 13, the wedding chapter. On love, it's not about weddings, but it's perfectly fine to use at weddings. It's about spiritual gifts, purposes. It's about love. The higher way, the purpose. He goes right into love. So, as briefly as I can, Lord, please help me have wisdom to be brief. Uh, The breadth of the gifts, the breadth of the gifts... Romans 12, we're going we're to jump in and out of 1 Corinthians because I want to try to at least list all the gifts that, that, are, that are in Scripture as far as I can see. Romans 12, service. The ability to identify and care for the physical needs of the body through a variety of means. This, this Greek word service, it is actually the word that's same sourced as the word deacon, but the gifts is not confused only with the office. You can have a gift of deaconing, serving, and not yet be a, a, a deacon. Um, Three, teaching. The ability to clearly explain, effectively apply the truths of God's word. It is basically kind of what you think it is. Uh, Being able to proclaim what God has already proclaimed so that others can learn. This isn't spontaneous hearing. It's it's taking what he's revealed in his scriptures and, and bringing it to bear to people's lives accurately, interpreting it accurately so that people can apply it to their own lives. Uh, Four, exhortation. That word exhortation, I pretty much synonymous. If you want to know what exhortation means, just spend time with Dave Adams. Exhortation is Dave Adams. I'm moving on. Um, Just kidding, just kidding. Um, The ability to motivate others to respond to the truth by providing timely words of counsel, encouragement, and consolation. I don't actually officially know whether Dave has this gift, but it reminds me of him. When this gift is exercised, believers are challenged to stimulate their faith by putting God's truth to the test in their lives. Not putting God to the truth, but saying, I'm going to step out and believe and move into this. Uh, giving. Romans 12.8. This is the ability to contribute material resources with generosity and cheerfulness of spirit in a profound way. Everybody's called to give, but this is a pronounced gift to do that to the benefit of others in God's glory. Don't have to be wealthy to do it. It's just a gift God has. You can just, you just got something you can just give. You're eager to give. You desire to give in a way that's consistent and and steady. Uh, six, leadership. This is the Romans 12, 8. Ken Bohr says, this is the ability to discern God's purpose for a group, communicate appropriate goals, motivate others to work together. Um, number seven, mercy. Romans 12, 8. This is the ability to deeply empathize and engage in compassion. And compassion acts on behalf of people who are suffering physical, mental, and emotional distress. Not to put you on the spot, but Andrew, I you are one of the most compassionate people I've ever met. Deb Coleman, you are one of the most compassionate people I've ever met. Just, there, there's some people in your lives that just, whoa, they just care about people so much. Um, 
So this gift manifests itself in concern and kindness to people who are often overlooked. So those are kind of the ones that are, uh, you, you know, we, we, we all kind of know those were all like, those all make sense. Those seem, you know, normaler <laughs> than some of the other gifts we're going to talk about now. Robin spent a lot of time talking on prophecy. Go get that message. I sent notes out. Um, I think the notes were, by God's grace, they were good notes. So if you missed those notes that I sent out, uh, at least look at those. The notes and questions I sent out for this week's message came out on Wednesday um, on the Holy Spirit. That's on our blog. You can look at um, Holy Spirit number five. That's where those notes are. Uh, but Robin talked about this. It's the ability to, to receive and proclaim spontaneously a truth from God. It can, it can involve foretelling future events. It does often in the Bible. Um, though its primary purpose, as seen in First Corinthians, is, as Robin said, encouragement, consolation, and strengthening edification. Um, it, it provides a, a personal word from God in a personal specific time to a specific group or a person. Uh, it's not the normative word of God, like teaching to all believers. It's not on par with Scripture. The Bible says it has to be weighed in 1 Corinthians 14 and in 1 Timothy, uh, I think it's Titus 5, it says that it must be not be despised, but tested, right? Um, Sam Storms makes some great comments on, on, um, on prophecy. He kind, of, he, he kind of divides up that gift into revelation, which is the thing you get from God, like God puts a word on your heart for someone, and, and that from God, God does a great job doing that. <laughs> there's no problem on God's end with getting that to your brain. But then there's your interpretation of that. You have to figure out what you think that meant. And that's where things can get fuzzy. And then a lot of times there's your application of that into someone's life. And that's where things can get fuzzier. Um, it's funny. I, I, there's a guy named Chuck Haney at... Um, Oh, man, I shouldn't have said his name, but that's his name. But he, he wouldn't mind me saying this. Uh, he, he prophesied over me when I got to Chesapeake in 2007 after I just got married. I didn't know him from Adam, didn't know him at all. And he prophesied over me. He just said, God is saying to you, why are you doubting my ability to provide for you? Have children. <laughs> it was crazy. I mean, that week, I was freaked out about God's ability to provide for me and scared to have children. And he sends me an email out of the blue. It's like, a word from the Lord. And the subject line, the email says Chuck Haney. Subject line says a word from the Lord. There's a problem. Um, should say God at Gmail. But, and then I, then I open it up and Chuck's like, God says to you, why are you afraid? Do you doubt my provision for you? I'm like, dang, bro. Yeah, I do doubt your provision for me. And what are you doing looking into my mail, you weirdo, Chuck? I mean, it was just the craziest thing. Uh, go have children. You know, I desire to glorify God through your children and you. And I was like, okay. So that was huge in my life, you know. And Chuck, he heard something from God. He interpreted it and he, he applied it to my life. Last year, he told me that I'm probably going to get martyred for Jesus. I mean, that was just the way he sent me this word. He's like, the, the Lord says to you, you know, um, when he talked to Peter and said, uh, um, you know, when you're old, someone will take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus is telling Peter he's going to be put to death on the cross. And I'm just like, what are you doing? He's sending this to me over Facebook. Like, the Lord said this to you, period. Bye-bye. Like, seriously, like, that was it. I wrote back, I'm like, Chuck, is this all you got for me? Like, so, like, I take consolation in the fact that Chuck isn't infallible, you know? I mean... 
I take encouragement that that means I might make it to the end, though, you know? But, yeah, I'd not choose that if that's, I mean. Anyway, for prophetic people, Sam Storm says that sometimes the hardest thing to do is to stop after the revelation and just say, this is what I hear from God for you. That, that oftentimes folks who, who have this gift, they, they want to make it clearer. They want to make it more applicable and just encourages people to be careful about that. Sometimes you just need to say, this is all I got. You know, this is all I got. I got this word, release, release for you. And I don't know if there's anything else. I don't know if this means anything to you, uh, but, but you may know what to do with that. And, and if it's from the Lord, they, he will help them know what to do with that. Um, gifts of wisdom, 1 Corinthians 12, 8, and, and uh, words of wisdom in 1 Corinthians 12, 8, as well as words of knowledge in 1 Corinthians 12, 8. These are, according to Greer, uh, probably Sam Storms as well. These are sub-gifts under prophecy. And so what you see in 12.8 and 12, uh, 12.8 in wisdom and in knowledge is, is this sort of, according to these guys, this subset of the ability and wisdom to, to apply the principles of God's word with the revelation you've gotten. So for Chuck, he heard, you're afraid of provision, and, and he had grace to say to me, so the wisdom is, Walk into what God has for you. Don't be afraid of having children. Apply this by having children. Um, now, I didn't have children because Chuck told me to. I'd already wanted to have children. But there was a shape to the prophecy that wasn't simply a statement. But here's what to do with it. Um, so, in, 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 um, in, in words of knowledge, there's this information that, that you could not get. This is according to Sam Storms. You could not get except for the supernatural. There's a famous story you may have heard about Charles Spurgeon. He's preaching in London. And he's up there in the pulpit. And he gets this word of knowledge. I, I think you could probably call it word of knowledge. I mean, I, there are different people who interpret this different way. You know, word of knowledge and word of wisdom are only here in 1 Corinthians 12 in the whole Bible. So we want to be careful with these things, right? But, um, but what knowledge means and what word means, it, it's... When we, when we see these things happening in the Bible and history, it, it just seems like, okay, this is blessed by God, and this seems reasonable. So we kind of make our best sense of what this means. But Charles Spurgeon is preaching in London, and he says in the middle of his sermon, there's someone here who has stolen a pair of gloves. <laughs> this is Charles Spurgeon, you know? It's, it's not like, yeah, it was Spurgeon. It's not like, uh, I don't know, p- take your pick of someone who, if I say their name, you might be offended. But it's... And somebody had stolen a pair of gloves in his congregation. You know? It's a great story. And, and I, I think, you know, Lord willing, that man was convicted of his sins, as 1 Corinthians 14 says, and says, God must be among you. The secrets of his heart, 1 Corinthians 14 says, will be revealed through that prophecy. Uh, if that gift is used in the way that God oftentimes wants it to be used, that, that God will give someone a word for somebody else, a believer, an unbeliever, and there's no way they could know that except for the miraculous power of God. And so the response when that word hits their heart is... God must be among you. And in 1 Corinthians 14, the beautiful thing is it exposes their need for a Savior. And they come to Christ. Wouldn't that be a great gift to see in more, more fruit here? You know, to, to have people come in who don't know the Lord, or maybe there are people in our midst who are young and haven't made decisions for Christ, haven't come to Christ yet. And, and we just are able to say, you stole all your groceries this week. <laughs> Just kidding. But you're able to say something into their lives. And they say, only God could know this. And he's here among you. And the gospel must be true. And I need to come to Christ. I mean, don't we want that kind of thing? Yeah, we want that kind of thing. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 9, faith. The ability to have a vision for what God wants to be done 
to confidently believe that it will be accomplished in spite of circumstances and appearances to the contrary. This gift of faith sees hope turn into a reality by, by just being convinced it's going to happen. It allows you to know God is going to do something miraculous. Sam Storms tells a story that this gift is often accompanied with the gift of healing. Um, he, he says he's prayed for healing over thousands of people, but, but really only once or twice in his life has he felt like he had this gift of faith where he just knew um, that they were going to be healed. And, and he tells this story of, of, a, of a mom with her little baby, uh, and, and she came to pray for healing because there was a really, really bad, I think it was a fatal liver disease. It was a really bad liver disease the baby had. And Sam Storms is there with other men praying over this baby, and he just feels like the Lord says to him, this baby is healed. And Sam is just arguing with God, like, that's arrogant. <laughs> like, I can't say that. And he tried, he tried to doubt, but he couldn't. He, he couldn't doubt it. He, you know, he, he talks in this message. I've, and I'll, if you guys want the message, I'll, I'll send a, a link out for it or at least send a place where you can um, ask me to send it to you. Um, but he, he ends up saying to this woman, your baby's going to be fine. And I think it was a really fearful thing to do. Um, but he, his point in the message was, I could not try as hard as I could. I could not doubt that this baby was, was going to be healed. Now, I think you would always want to check with somebody before personally. I would recommend you always want to check with another mature believer, brother in Christ, to see if that's really the wise thing to do. But I want to be careful because God says a lot about how faith is important in his word when it comes to doing miracles. We don't want to throw the baby of bath. We don't want to throw the baby of faith out with the bathwater of arrogance and presumption, right? We got to learn to, to hold these things together. Um, but I, I, I just think, um, yeah, so, 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 so the, I think the word there is, is use wisdom, use caution, but don't, if you really feel convicted, don't give up on that necessarily. I would say just don't give up on that. Talk to people. Help them know how to steward that sense of faith you have because God gives the gift of faith to be used. He wants it used. He didn't give it to us to say, to, to rationalize away because it's too tricky and too scary and therefore I can never touch this thing. That's just not what the Bible is calling us to. Um, number 11, healing. 1 Corinthians 12, 9, 1 Corinthians 28, uh, 12, 28, 12, 30. This is the ability to serve as a human instrument through whom God supernaturally cures illnesses and restores health. The professor, uh, possessor of this gift is not the source of the power, but a vessel who can only heal those diseases the Lord chooses to heal. Inner healing or healing of memories is sometimes associated as another manifestation of this gift. In the Greek, it's actually gifts of healings. Uh, various kinds of healings. And, and what, what Sam Storms does with this is he, in his experience in, in charismatic circles... Um, he has seen various gifts of kinds of healings, abilities, that there are people who, in his experience, I'm just, this isn't the word of God, I'm just quoting from his experiences, he's tried to steward this issue. He's seen that in his life, there are people who have specific gifts for certain kinds of healings that are needed. He knows people who, who are really good at healing, like back ailments, bone ailments, but they're not necessarily good at healing um, bringing healing to bear on uh, migraines. But he knows another person who just, they've got a gift for healing people with migraines. So he calls it, and that's what he, he runs with this idea that it's, it's, a, it's a plural. There are different kinds of healings needed, and God gives different healings for that. Um, he also cautions against this, seeing this kind of gift as something that 
that is just kind of on call for you whenever you want it, wherever, however you want it. In the Bible, you see Paul raising people from the dead, right? That's a pretty, you see him healing people, but he actually raised somebody from the dead who fell out of a window and axe, okay? So that's the kind of power God had moved through him. But, but you also see Paul leave Trophimus sick at Miletus because he's got to go. He's got to get the gospel going, and he leaves his buddy sick. You see him telling Timothy to take wine for his frequent illnesses. He didn't just say, Timothy, I believe God's cured you of your illness. You need to believe that, or you're, you know, you're not trusting what God says. No, he says, Timothy, dude, you need some medicine because you're sick all the time, you little dude. Um, Paul says that Epaphroditus was terribly ill. He almost died in Philippians 2, 28 through 27. His illness was so severe and so protracted, that word was getting around between churches. So it was an illness he had for a long time because other churches were hearing, Epaphroditus is going to die. God heals him. In, in Galatians four thirteen, Paul says, you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. He apparently got stuck in Galatia because he was sick. And he says, that was a trial. That was, that was a trial to you in my bodily condition. I had a trial in my bodily condition, but it, you, you did not despise or loathe me for it. You received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. And so we see that there's this picture of what theologians call the already not yet. The kingdom of God has broken in with power through the Holy Spirit. He has unleashed gifts upon his church to testify to his name, to bring edification to his people, and to witness to the reality that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. But he's done this in a world that's not finished being redeemed yet we still groan paul says we still wait we we are waiting for the full adoption romans 8 says which is the redemption of our physical bodies in the resurrection how many healings happen but that are great but we still die right so miracles and healing and deliverances these are sign gifts that are proof of this breaking of the kingdom but the state of fallness that remains is a sign that we're not yet done with bringing that kingdom fully in. And that will occur when Jesus Christ returns. And then Revelations 24, 21, 14 says that at that time to come in the future, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. He, there will be no more death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain. That's to come. It's not yet for the old things of this, of, for the old things has passed, the old order of things has passed away. So that's still to come, which again is why Paul says that until then, we still live in the already not yet. He calls it groaning, dealing with the futility that this creation has been subjected to. I have a feeling for most of us, we're comfortable with that, already not yet. What we're less comfortable for, for me, what's scarier, is, is praying for and seeking faith for the gift of healing in our midst. I mean, all that I just said for you theologically sound people is you're going to be like, amen, amen, amen. I'm more, but, but, but it's, it's, it's more foreign to us to experience this sense of, I believe I'm supposed to lay my hands on you. And, and I believe God's going to do something. And I have faith in that. Can I please do that? But that's something God wants for us, folks. That's something he wants to give to our church. We're his church. This is a gift. He wants to be glorified in this. We're not promised perfection in this age, but we're promised gifts like this. So we should ask God for these things. In fact, we're commanded to eagerly desire these things. 
to be able to bring healing, physical healing in miraculous ways to people. So let's be praying for that. Let's be asking for that. Let's keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. For our Father is a good Father who knows how to give good gifts to those who ask Him through the Holy Spirit. Man, I'm not going to get this sermon done. Twelve miracles. The ability to serve as an instrument through whom God accomplishes acts that manifest supernatural power. Miracles are miracles. (laughs) Um, So we see Peter raise Tabitha from the dead in Acts 9. Um, That's not just healing, right? That's an extra duty healing. We see pronounced, we see Paul on Elamas in Acts 13 pronounce a temporary judgment of blindness upon him. We saw Peter walk on water. Um, you know, Storm speculates that, that, that what, me, what might be packed into this miracles gift is also deliverance ministry, the ability to, uh, to uh, exercise demonic people, or for, demonic forces from situations. Um, distinguishing of spirits, 1 Corinthians 12.10. This is one of the lesser talked about gifts. But this is, um, according to Ken Bohr, and I think Greer and Sam Stearns would agree, this is the ability to discern truth from error. In a powerful way, this gift can distinguish reality versus counterfeits in the spiritual realm. Uh, The divine versus the demonic activity. True versus false teaching. Um, And in some cases, spiritual versus carnal motives in people. Um, And and a friend could say, you know, Storm says that, that he just knew a guy who could just walk into a place and say, you know, I really think that this person is really suffering from a, a, a demonic influence here. And, um, and he could understand things that were going on that, that Storms just couldn't, and he just saw a gift for that. I mean, and he asks how helpful this would be for a counselor, this gift, to be able to sit down with someone you're counseling and be able to know the difference between biochemistry and, and psychology and, and what's, you know, a spiritual influence. Because a lot of those times, all those things can be in the soup of what we struggle with. I mean, our battles are always not just against flesh and blood, not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers. But to be able to have that kind of discernment and distinguish spirits, to be able to understand false from two teaching and say, this is this, this is this. That's a gift we want, right? We want that in use here. Um, in Acts 13, Paul knows that Elemas, the magician, was actually being a tool of Satan. And so that might have been the distinguishing of spirit ability that he had. Um, in Acts 8, with I think it's Simon, he says, or Simeon, um, he says to him, I perceive that you are in bitterness and iniquity. You know, he didn't grow up with the guy. He just... You could just tell. Um, Robin talked a lot about tongues last week, and I don't want to go over that too much. Um, he did such a great job with that. Maybe just a couple of observations. Um, in, in 13, Paul talks about tongues of men and tongues of angels. Uh, peop- I, I, I think if you look at 13, when Paul says, if I do this, if I give my body to be broken, if I speak of tongues of men and angels, if I... Um, give all my goods to the poor, if I have faith that can move mountains. Those are all real gift sets that Paul's talking about. So I think it's okay to take tongues of men and angels the same way, and that there is a, there is a heavenly tongue and there's an, there's an earthly tongue that can come as a gift. So I think that in Acts uh, 2 at Pentecost, it's very possible the people there were speaking Spanish, were speaking Lithuanian, were speaking Russian, but at the same time, uh, there's a gift going on in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, where people are speaking heavenly languages that they don't understand, but God does. Um, and, and, and in the public, right, uh, Robin talked about the need to be able to uh, publicly interpret this. And so it was so great for me at the ministry night with Robin on Wednesday night that somebody came up and said, um, 
I just want the gift of interpretation. They didn't ask for tongues. They didn't ask for prophecy. They were just like, this is on my heart, the gift of interpretation. And I prayed for them to receive that, and I hope they do. It would just be awesome to have someone come up. It would be what happens in the Bible's picture. <laughs> as weird as it might be to have somebody come up and give a tongue. And, someone, and we just, at that point, we just got to say, does anybody have an interpretation? Right? In the corporate assembly, we, we don't come here to just edify ourselves and speak in tongues. That, that'll get out of hand, and that, that will weird people who don't know Christ out. But if we have someone who has an interpretation, then it can edify everybody, Paul says. So that's a great gift to pray for. Um, man, there's so much more I could say, and I cannot. So, um, <laughs> but God's word is good, and 1 Corinthians 12 is, is, is really, really, uh, I think to some degree, easy to understand a couple of ways I just want to close with. God's design with the gift is for diversity and dependability. He wants us to have different gifts to push us into each other. I was on the phone with a, a good buddy who I've known for a while now. He's experienced uh, um, in, in, in the charismatic gift culture a lot more than I am. Um, and, um, and he's a good mature guy. He's in his 40s and... And we were talking about it on the phone. And, and, and he, he kind of comes from a school that thinks that everybody can have whatever gift they want whenever they want it kind of thing. And I'm just trying to talk to him about that. And he said, well, what, what would it be like if that was true? You know, he's just asking me to imagine what it would be like if, if I could have any gift I wanted whenever I wanted. And I could have all the gifts at my disposal whenever I wanted. And, um, and he's, he, we just love each other. So it's, it's great to have these discussions. And I just said to him, well, I think it would kind of be like the eye being able to say to the hand, I don't need you. <laughs> I think that's what it would be. And he was just like, yeah, okay. But, <laughs> you know, then he went into some different pictures. I mean, but the beauty of 1 Corinthians 12 and the beauty of Romans 12 and the beauty of Ephesians 4 is it says the same thing. That the Holy Spirit, not us, decides who gets what. And he gives different gifts to different people so that we have to lean on each other. It's not a weird kind of codependency, I fear men more than God kind of thing. That's not the kind of leaning each other, but it is a needing each other, right? It's not abusive, weird relationship. I need to be with Marsha wherever she goes. I need to go to that movie with her. I need to go to that store with her. No, that's what we're talking about. So, but don't be afraid to say, I actually do need people. I actually, God has, in God's economy, in God's ordination, I'm going to need my brothers and sisters for things I can't bring to bear in my own life. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful, folks. It's, it's what he wants from his one people. It's, how he, it's part of the way he unifies us together by pushing us into each other so that I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And so that the I who doesn't get the gift that he wants can't say, oh, I must not be a part of the body because I didn't get those gifts. I want those gifts. No, you're a part of the body. You got gifts that the hand needs, I, dude. You're an I and the hand needs you. So no one has to be discouraged and dejected and feel useless. And no one has to feel proud and carnally lifted up and feel superior and invincible. No. God says, I'm going to give Monty this stuff. And I'm going to give Melody this stuff. And Monty's going to need Melody. And Melody's going to need Monty. And he does that through all of us. But what I want us to do, can, I, can the band come up here? What, 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 um, what I'm burdened for is that we eagerly desire these things. Um, there's, there's more work I think we have to do as a church to understand more about how to help us all together see these things and walk into them. 
But I really will close with this. This convicted me this week. You know, I was trying to think about, like, how, how do I encourage the church to have faith for this? In a way that's, like, firm, that you can grab onto and stick with it in your prayers. And it was beautiful because it just comes back to the gospel. It comes back to the gospel. This isn't simply a nice teaching about how we can get a lot of stuff or a cautious teaching about how we we should not go crazy and take more than we should. This is the truth that God gives gifts because we need them. And like everything else in our life with the Lord, faith is an essential bridge between what we want and what we need. He wants us to have faith, to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. But where does the faith come from? It comes from the fact that Jesus died to bring us his spirit, that he purchased all that the spirit has for us with his blood. We can have faith and expect God to answer our prayers because he respects the sacrifice of his son. Because he is pleased with the offering of his son through whom gifts have been purchased for you and I. That the gospel guarantees his care for our church to give our church what it needs. So that when I go and say, Lord, I'd like more of the gift of healing in my church. Jesus, you bought this gift for your bride. Would you please, Lord, give that to my church? Would you please give this gift to me because I'm struggling with this? Or, or help me through this gift through someone else, Jesus. You died to bring this to your church.